You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey everyone and welcome back to Page to Stage, a conversation with theater makers. We're your hosts. That's Brian. That's Mary. To put it simply, we're both theater nerds. So let's pull back the curtain and get a glimpse at the artist's process while creating their art. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, forward, prohibited by law, 18 plus, terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So thanks for coming today. <laughs> Hi, Marissa. Hi. <laughs> so nice to meet you. Well, nice cheers. Because we have a lot of liquids here in front of us today. You can cheers with water. Cheers bro. with water. It's, it's a little hot where we are. It's a bit of a heat wave today, I would say, right? <laughs> Yum. But we're surviving. We have a fan going in the window because if not, we would not survive this. <laughs> We'd be melted. Oh, so. Yeah. Let's just get right into it. So uh, what did you go to school for? And um, and how did that get you to where you are today? Or, or your first thing right out of college? All right. So I went to University of San Francisco. And I got my degree in performing arts and social justice. Um, so it was all about the intersection of the two, how you can use the arts to, um, make social change. Um, so it was great. My concentration was in music. So I took traditional music courses like theory and composition and history of Western art music. And then I also took, uh, more social justice inclined classes. So, um, music and social history. I took, um, one course where we went into San Francisco jail number five and facilitated arts making with incarcerated men. Um, we took anthropology of music. So it was really focused on how to, um, 
how the arts can be a vehicle for social justice. That's so interesting that you had a major that does that yes. because um, when people ask me what um, like my my tagline is or, or something that I really want to do with my work or what type of work I'd like to do in the theater, I always say I want to use theater as a form of social change and to kind of mirror put a mirror up to society and use. Uh, past theatrical works, revive them, bring them back, and show modern audiences how uh, they still apply and how those themes are still relevant. Yeah. So that's just so amazing that there was actually um, a major specifically for that. Now, was there a major specifically for that, or did you kind of mold into two majors or, or, or um, take certain classes that would get you what you had? So that was the actual major. I remember when I was applying to colleges, I knew I wanted to do music. I grew up doing a lot of musical theater um, and I really loved to sing. And I remember when I decided to apply to University of San Francisco and I was looking to see like what their performing arts department looked like. I was like, oh, performing arts and social justice. That's if you're going to do performing arts at USF, that's really the only option you have. And then you can declare a concentration in music, dance or theater. And I, I so I'm from San Diego originally. Um, and it's, it can be kind of a bubble there. And so I was like, what is social justice? I didn't really have, I guess, the world context to understand exactly what I was signing up for when I decided to apply. Um, and when I applied, I didn't really even think if I got in that I was going to go. I didn't really know much. I kind of applied on a whim. Um, and then I ended up getting in and decided to attend. And I remember my first year, I was kind of like, what is all this social justice stuff? Like, I just want to play music and concentrate on the performance aspect of it. Were you mainly a performer up until that point? Yeah. Um, and then by the time I had graduated, I was like, the social justice part is the only part that matters. <laughs> like, I was so into it. I think it's really important. I think it's great that that's something that, you know, you find important too and are trying to, to work with because um, we need definitely need more people in the arts trying to uh, use it as a tool for social change. Absolutely. I'm really curious about, you said you went into jail number five, is that what it was called? Yeah, San Francisco jail number five. Yeah, so what was that experience like? It was with a class specifically? Yeah, so the class, um, it was called PACE, and it stood for perform, oh gosh, we'll come back to that. I need to remember what it stood for. We just always called it PACE. And so it was a class, gosh, how many of us were there? Maybe around 20? 20, maybe not even that much. All the classes at USF are, are very small. Um, and it was a mixture. So there were music students and dance students and theater students. Um, and we went in. And the goal for the end of the semester is to put together a big performance piece that people can come into the jail and see. Um, and so we kind of split off into groups with some of the men and were each assigned um a part of the piece, whether it was, you know, a dance section or a music section or spoken word. Um, and we worked in these individual groups. And then towards the end of the semester, all the groups came together and we found a way to mold it into one giant piece that that flowed together. And we had an audience come in and see it and we filmed it. So I, I like have a copy of it and I still haven't watched it because I am so scared to being in there. It was a like a life-changing experience when I talk about like the best moments I had in college that it for sure is probably top two is being in that class and working with those men um it really opened my eyes to the prison system in general I hadn't really thought about it a whole lot until going inside and working with these men they are all 
so wonderful, like just truly amazing people. Like it, we went in twice a week um, and it was the highlight of my week to go in and work with these guys. And they were all super awesome. And it also made me appreciate my circumstances a lot more to know at the end of, you know, the day when we all got to leave and they had to stay like that was really tough. And at the end of the semester too, even having to say final goodbyes, like that was really emotional and really, really tough. So where did that fall in your four years there? Was that towards the end? Yeah, that was my senior year. So my fourth year um, in the fall. So when did you know that you wanted to get into casting or was that always part of the plan within the four years? No, it was not always part of the plan. Um, Did you have a clear goal uh, towards the end of your four-year trajectory that you said, I'm going to get out of school and uh, and focus on pursuing this part of theater? Well, when I actually, when I started school, I didn't think I was going to focus on theater at all. Um, so I grew up doing musical theater and I loved doing musical theater. But unfortunately, USF, you could either choose, it was like straight acting dance or music. There wasn't a musical theater track and all the theater courses were not focused on musical theater. And so I was like, okay, I like musical theater because I like the music. I like to sing. So I don't think the theater track would be the best fit for me. So I decided to do music. And when I was applying to other colleges, I was focusing either on purely a music track or if they had musical theater, I was considering that. Um, and so when I started at USF, I was like, okay, I'm just going to focus on music, playing music, singing, like songwriting, composition, um, more of that type of stuff. Um, and was really trying to m- turn my, I guess, experience into something that it, it was not possible. Like, I, like there are tons of people on the music track um, at USF that are like into the singing songwriting um track I don't know word uh what's the word I'm looking for but they they're in like that pocket um and it's totally possible to to just focus purely on music um and in the performing arts and social justice department um but I don't know I just I guess I couldn't escape the theater part either um and there is a student-run theater group on campus called College Players And I have a friend that I grew up doing theater with. We went to high school together. She also went to USF and she was a theater major and she's a year ahead of me. So she had been at USF for a year. She was a sophomore when I started and she was like, oh, you should, they're doing Little Shop this year. You should totally audition. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think I'm kind of done with theater. Like, you know, shows are such a huge time commitment and I wasn't really sure if I, you know, wanted to you know, commit that much time to rehearsals and most likely probably just get like an ensemble part. You know, I was so used to the politics of small town community theater. So I was like, no, there's no way. Like I'll probably be like tree number two or something, you know? The mini plan. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so I like wasn't going to do it. And then last minute decided to audition and that changed, like becoming a part of that group really changed everything. Um, So I did started doing shows through them. And then my sophomore year, I directed Rent. Um, so it was completely student-run. You could apply to direct or choreograph, um, be a stage manager, et cetera. And so I did Rent my sophomore year. Did you get to pick the show that you directed or was it already assigned? So in my case, I did get to pick, but it was a special circumstance. Usually the way the group does it is you um, they do a fall and a spring play 
and you can apply to direct and you can come with a show. So you would apply to direct a specific show. The musical, since it's like the big production every year, the board of this group would choose it and then you could just apply to direct it. And so originally when they announced the season, it was Chicago. So I applied to direct Chicago and was chosen for that. And then they didn't get the rights. So they came to um, the choreographer and I'm like, listen, we're really sorry, but we couldn't get the rights. We can't do Chicago. We still want you on board and, you know, kind of as an apology, you know, let us know what you want to do. And if we can get the rights, then we'll do that. And so I sat down with the choreographer, who is still one of my best friends today. And we kind of thought about how big the group was and how what the turnout for auditions would be and thought, you know, Rent actually is a really good show for the resources, you know, and the people that we have. Um, so we, we got to chose, choose Rent. You could Rent. do some social reform, right? Yeah. <laughs> social change with Rent. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that's where casting came into play. Um, at the end of the run, I looked back and I was like, I loved directing the show and being able to put it on, but my favorite part was the audition process mm. and being able to sit in auditions and do callbacks and help cast the show and pick the people, you know, to put it together. And so that's why I was thinking, okay, casting might be a good option to start thinking about, you know, after I graduate, because not only is it something that I enjoy, but I can also apply the social justice aspect of my degree um, into it. You know, we need more people that are going to advocate for people of color and women and people from marginalized groups to get into the room. Um, and so that was kind of my thinking and why I decided to look into casting um, after I graduated. I love that. So so when you graduated, you moved right to New York City? Yes, I have always wanted to live in New York. From I, In eighth grade, we did like a DC, my school did a DC trip and we only spent like 24 hours in New York. I could not tell you anything outside of those 24 hours. Like that's all I remember Aww. from that trip is <laughs> going to New York. We saw Wicked on Broadway and I bought one of those like tacky I Heart New York sweatshirts. Like I really only went on this trip to go to New York. Um, wow. So I've always known that I wanted to live here. Um, and you were here before you graduated, yeah. which is how I met you. Yeah. Because we interned together at Broadway Teachers Workshop. Yeah. Was that, that, was that your second time then being? Yeah. I guess first time like really like yeah. experiencing the city. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. No, that was a really great, I kid you not, on the plane ride home, I like teared up. I was like, I don't know when I'm ever going to be back. Like that was such an amazing two weeks. Like it was so much fun. I was very devastated when that um, ended, but I kind of made it my mission then like, okay, I've spent some time in the city. I know I like it. I would love to live there. Whatever I do after graduation, I'm going to try to make sure it works with being in New York. Um, and then around April of my senior year, I had applied. Syracuse does um, a program called the Tepper Semester. Um, and it's kind of designed to be like study abroad. Like you're really supposed to do the semester while you're still in your undergrad. Like you'll take a semester, like leave your home institution and come to New York and do the Tepper semester. And you can do tons of different tracks. Like there's acting and directing, um, like theater administration. Um, but one of the tracks you can do through this program is casting. They have a, a casting apprenticeship program. And so you do an internship in a casting office. And did you get placed at a casting office? Yes. So... <clears throat> they ask us like what some choices are that we would like to and they try to get us you know in an office that we already know we would like to work at but it's not guaranteed you know they have to 
check in with the office and see if they're even looking for interns. Um, I got placed at Tara Rubin Casting, which was my top choice. So I felt very fortunate. Um, yeah, and it was office. amazing. Yeah. Oh my gosh, the team there. I have nothing but good things to say about the people that work there. So I worked at the office Monday through Friday and then took courses in the evening taught by casting professionals. And then we saw two shows a week. So... So it was a very busy time. It started, I moved here in June of 2017 and the program started in August. It was August to December. So from August to December, I was working in a casting office five days a week and then doing the classes and the shows in the evening. So it was just a very packed couple of months, but it was great. It was a really good intro into that world and New York. Um, and I made lots of friends. So, so what were some of your responsibilities working in the casting office? There was a lot of, it was a lot of, um, assembling headshots and resumes and, you know, packing the kits before, um, auditions, um, a lot of helping, schedule the appointment. So I would send out all the emails to the agents and the managers and build the schedule and put all of that together. Um, but I, because the team is so great and they were really invested in making sure their interns also got to sit in the room and see what happens. I did get to go and sit in on a lot of auditions, oh, that's so which valuable. was really awesome. Yeah. Um, so I, I got a really well-rounded experience at the office. I think I definitely got to see all sides. Did you pursue casting after working at Tara Rubin's office? Yeah. So the program ended in December and I started applying. Um, I actually got really lucky that one of the casting assistants at Tara Rubin's office at the time also did the Tepper program. And so she made herself super available to me if I had any questions. And she um, had shared a list of contacts that she had made while she was doing Tepper. She had interned at Telsey. Um, and then that she'd accumulated uh, after the program working in casting and she shared it with me. So I just started shooting off cold emails with my resume to these casting directors to see if anyone needed an assistant. Um, and I actually got quite a few responses. It was really great. And I got um, interviewed at a couple places and got some offers. And I ended up um, getting hired by Jessica Daniels. Um, so she hired me to start in January of 2018 and we did pilot season for Fox and then worked on some indie films. So that was, um, a really great experience. So I'm assuming her office was mostly for film and TV versus theater. Yeah, that was the only thing is it it was a, a switch as far as the type of projects that we were working on. Um, but I welcome that. I thought I was actually kind of looking not for like a permanent switch, but I also felt like if I you know, want to work in casting. I need at least one pilot season under my belt. Um, So that was a really great learning experience to see how that process works on the casting end. And so from your perspective, how does the day run if you're holding auditions? Were you in the room with casting? Yeah, sometimes. It's a very, her office was really small. It was just her and her associate and myself. Um, So, you know, I think like if you were to compare it to like Tara Rubin's office where there's more, a much bigger staff, you know, they can afford to let their interns and assistants in the room because there are other people holding down the fort outside of the room. Um, versus with Jessica, I she did um, let me come in the room. And if her associate was busy, I got to help like tape and stuff, which was awesome. But I would say majority of the time I wasn't in the room because I was greeting actors as they came in and made sure that they, you know, knew where to find their sides, getting them water, kind of just monitoring the office while they were in the room. And then I was editing, they would come back and like give me the tapes and I would start editing them like while they're still running session. So from your perspective, what are some do's and don'ts in the waiting room 
since oh you had to deal with that a bunch? <laughs> um, for the most part, I can't remember any clear moments where... I mean, definitely don't be late, right? Yeah, don't be late. <laughs> As someone that would like help build the schedule, and it was definitely frustrating when people came out of order because um, it just kind of screws the whole flow of everything up. And I would say like, be quiet if you can, just because, you know, there it, we'd have like a little lobby waiting area where they'd be waiting and then they'd be filming literally in the next room. So if you're making tons of noise out in the lobby, you can hear it on the tape, which is really annoying. Um, but also like, I guess I really appreciated it if actors like they couldn't find their sides or needed to know where the bathroom was or had any questions like they did approach me and they you know asked what they needed and I appreciated that because I'm like it's I think it's always good to be prepared and that's why I was there is to be a resource to them so you know I, I think that's definitely if you have a question and there's someone there that could potentially answer it you know ask be respectful but so ask. it's not like they're bugging you yeah no yeah, I didn't I did not view it like like that um because I think a lot of time people are so scared to just even make themselves heard yeah. in cases like that just to not be a bother. Yeah. No, I, I totally get that because I feel that some way too, just like in life, you know, you want to, you know, fly under the radar as easy as possible. Um, no, but I definitely, I think if if there, if someone there, if you have a question, there's someone there can answer it and it's going to help you be better prepared and feel better in the room. Like, absolutely. Take the opportunity to ask the question. How did you transition out of casting now when did you decide that you were going to pursue entertainment law so that uh my current job kind of fell into my lap in the sense so i um went back to the tepper program to speak on an alumni panel and while i was there um got questions asked about what i did in school so i you know gave my whole performing arts and social justice spiel and one of the gals that was also an alumni and was there um to speak worked at this law firm that I work at now. And she approached me afterwards and was like, hey, you know, I know you're working in casting now and I'm not sure, you know, what your plans are once this job is done. Because most of casting is freelance. So it's kind of like, all right, like a lot of like assistants and associates hop around um, from casting director to casting director. So... So you're not like permanently with them. You could be jumping around yeah, every I, like six months, would you say? Or It depends. Like it could be as short as, you know, two weeks and it could be as long as you. I think it depends on the director and like what, how much work that they have. What about working with multiple offices at the same time? That I'm not sure how many people do that or if it's even possible because when you're casting a project, it's pretty busy from start to finish. Like I... When I was working for Jessica, there's no way I could have also worked at another office. There was just too much to do. Um, I think it also depends, like, an uh, office like Telsey or, or Tara Rubens, where they get so – they have so many projects. Like, they can afford to employ a staff full-time, but a lot – like, but then there are casting directors like Jessica where they really j- just have, you know, their two employees. So I think it depends on what office you're working for, but majority of them, they're very, very small, and you're they will only hire employees for the duration of a project until they get their next project. Mm-hmm. Um, so I worked with her from January to March of that year, um, and so this gal approached me at the alumni panel and was like, I'm not sure how long your contract is and if you want to stay in casting or not, but if you're interested, I work at an entertainment law firm. We're looking for a new assistant and I think your background, you know, would make you a really great fit for this office. Um, she said they kind of operate 
like a nonprofit in a way and that they do a lot of pro bono work for like up and coming um, people that want to work in the arts, lots of recent grads that are trying to break into the industry kind of with the idea of like client development, like we'll, you know, help work on this contract for you for now and then, you know, help you get where you need to go. And then when you get big and famous, you know, hopefully then we can officially sign you, like, you know, have it come full circle. And uh, she said that they were a very uh, social justice inclined office and really advocated for women and people of color to make sure that they are getting, you know, the same as their white male counterparts. And that definitely interests me. And as much as I loved casting, the freelance aspect of it was really tough on me, like being fresh out of school with student loans, and I'm a planner. I like to know what's next, and not knowing like when the next job was coming really stressed me out. And so this was an opportunity to get um, more uh, experience in the industry from a different standpoint, and also apply the social justice part of my degree, and also have a full-time job. So I decided to interview and ended up getting hired. And yeah, so that's where I am now. So what type of or is it theater focused or you, you said arts, but is it, I guess, what type of arts are you guys covering? So we do everything we okay. do. Uh, we mainly represent, I'd say, actors, but some directors and some writers for theater, film and TV. Um, so it's a definitely a well-rounded pool of clients. I, you know, I would say majority of it are, you know, actors working in film and TV. Um, but we, we do have a good handful of theater clients. I'm not really familiar with entertainment law other than what I researched before before we're having this episode, but I'm just wondering what type of work do you do on a day-to-day basis and what kind of clients, what do they come in and ask for, for you to represent them with? Yeah, so I guess my day-to-day as an assistant, I... Um, we there are three partners at our firm, and they all have uh, like an assigned assistant, and then there are four associates, and they also utilize the assistants. Um, but it's kind of you know you can just kind of ask who whoever is is free. Um, so I support one specific partner. Um, so my day to day, I would say a lot of it is administrative work. So filing, archiving, um, you know, running red lines of contracts, uh, placing calls, you know, taking notes, etc. Um, and what was the second part of your question? You're saying you're going over contracts. Yeah. What, what are these contracts? What are people coming to your right. office and asking for you guys to represent them with? Yeah. So mainly, it's mainly actors. And so they'll come with, you know, an offer or a test deal, um, for a project, and or I guess usually their agent or their manager will then bring it to their lawyer. Um, right, because that's that's what I was thinking. Yeah. I was thinking like as an actor with an agent, you would usually bring you, your contract would usually go through your agent for negotiations mm-hmm. or manager. Yeah. So at what point does it become necessary to bring you in as someone that works within a law firm? Not. Everybody out there has a lawyer. Um, so, like, if you don't have a lawyer, it will ma- be mainly, you know, your your agent or your manager or both that are negotiating your behalf. Um, but if you have a lawyer, then the offer will, you know, go through your agent. And then the agent, usually what they'll do is they'll, you know, call our office or, you know, shoot an email to the lawyer and be like, hey, just so you know, like, we have this offer coming through. Be prepared. And then they'll loop um, – the lawyer in on the chain, like the email chain and kind of like, hey, like looping in their attorney, like they'll take it from here and they negotiate. Um, it's like a, it's a deal memo. So it's just kind of like the big basic chunks. Like first they'll negotiate the fee um, and then 
they'll get into more of the nitty gritty details like you know i guess you know for a, a film like trailer size travel if they're working on a tv series like if it shoots somewhere where they don't live like are they going to get a relocation fee if, are they going to cover is production going to cover housing um what about hair and makeup do they get a say in that you know also like back-end box office bonuses like there are so many little things that go into an actor's contract that i had no idea did until i started working at this office but the lawyer basically steps in and negotiates and makes sh- make sure that the client is getting the best possible deal that they that they can um and then once that's all wrapped up then the lawyer the lawyer will say okay like i approve this for a signature you know i'll send this to my client and then send it back to you i'm wondering if you like have picked up on any tips for any of our listeners out there that are either actors or just trying to negotiate i would say one of the things i've picked up on from the lawyers is I guess like the facts really, like they don't lie. So if you, you know, if an offer comes in for a client that has a pretty decent resume and they totally lowball the fee, you know, you can't, most of the time the lawyer will come back and be like, hey, look at these are their, their credits. This is what they've done. This is what they've been paid in the past for projects like this. Like this is their following. Like that you're, if they were to be attached to this project, they're going to bring like a huge following to it with their name, you know, and it's, you know, if we're renegotiating for a raise, like if they're on a TV show and we want to renegotiate the raise for the season, it's kind of like, well, here, here's all the ratings. Here is the social media following of this client. Like this is how many times people are searching this specific person, like really just kind of um, show the value of the client. And you can't really argue with statistics and ratings and the numbers. Um. So would you say that these clients are usually at a different level than somebody maybe right out of school? Yeah. It, it, I, I know you said that you try and get people at the beginning of their careers and try and invest time and, yeah. and work into them. Um, but, you know, just the plain fact of the matter is a lot of acting jobs, uh, some of them are pretty low paying. Um, And so to be able to afford to even have a lawyer on your team is, is a luxury. Yeah. So what kind of level do you see most of your clients at? And, you know, do you represent big, big, big people? Yeah, we, um, without disclosing any identities, (laughs) we definitely, I would say it's a pretty even mix. Like we do represent um, a good amount of like pretty big, like star power names, um, but we also have a good amount of people that are up and coming or maybe like if you're if you're really on the pulse of like the entertainment industry, you would know who they are, but maybe they are not a household name. And we do represent, you know, a good amount of people that are fresh out of college or maybe, you know, a couple of years out that are, you know, maybe getting smaller roles or, you know, or I guess I don't know if smaller roles is the right way to put it, you know. All roles are important, um, you know, but there it's maybe not as big of jobs or as high paying um, jobs. So it, it really I would say it's a really even mix. We do have a, a good like a pretty big client list. Um, would you say that? So do you represent any writers or any people that like producers that are looking to get um, like option a show? I'm so, trying to think of like the other side of yeah, it. Yeah, we don't really represent producers, but we do represent writers. We have a handful of writers um, that do. I'm like trying to think, films, theater, um, 
and TV, actually. Um, so we do rep writers. And then we also, like, we rep actors that want to option stuff. So we will help, like, secure rights and, you know, all of that. Um, it's definitely not the biggest chunk. Like, it's not a whole lot of clients. It's definitely. an element yeah. of the office. Yeah, but we will do that. Are there any differences between, I guess, the work or... I guess, like, the work behind repping, repping a writer or trying to option a show versus an individual person or an actor? I guess the process is a little different. Like, I, negotiating an actor's contract for a project, it's going to look different than, you know, helping somebody, you know, option a project or, like, a writer's agreement or director's agreement. It, it does look different than an acting agreement, but I don't necessarily know or think that the the way that the lawyers would approach it is is any different. You know, like a, they they still fight for the clients and make sure that they're getting the best deals. It's just you just have to have you're just talking about different things. So how do you keep creativity in your life and that aspect of social, I mean, definitely social justice and reform in the law system. But how do you keep creativity in your life um, in a day-to-day job that you have to follow rules and you're working on contracts and you're picking apart facts? Um, I guess in my free time, I'm doing a lot of my own research. I read a lot of scripts. I love to read scripts. Um, I read, I'll read Deadline and Variety and Hollywood Reporter and try to keep, you know, my thumb on different veins of the industry. Um, I see a lot of theater still. That's kind of, you know, it's because most of our clients are working in film and TV. I try to still see theater when I can. I don't want to lose touch with that aspect of entertainment. So you wouldn't say that your job provides you that level of creativity that you you were used to in a casting setting or in college? Yeah, unfortunately, no. And that's probably like the, the, I love my job and I love the people that I work with, but I do wish I was doing something maybe a little more creative because, you know, I, that's, I've only really ever been working on the creative side of things up until now. Um, not to say that the business side is not important. Like this has really shown me like it's super, super important and everybody should have a lawyer because it really does help you in the long run. Um, but yeah, I do miss working on more creative, um, stuff. So I try to supplement that by, you know, in my free time, still going out and experiencing, you know, theater and seeing films. What is really nice is, you know, our, our offices provide us the opportunity to make sure that we see anything that our client is in. So in a way I have been able to, I guess, consume more entertainment just because we have so many clients and stuff. And so it, I'm almost more motivated to like go out to the movies and see, uh, you know, a, a film that maybe I wouldn't have considered before because I want to see the client in action. So are you able or do you have the luxury of pursuing your own work on like your off time like would you consider directing again or would you consider like producing your own side piece I guess <laughs> yeah I mean it's I guess it would just depend on how big of a time commitment like you know I do work like 40 45 hours a week being in the office so it's not like I have a ton of time during the day um but if I wanted to work on a side project as long as I can make that work around like my office hours like it's my job 
it's not like my my boss has ever said, no, you can't do anything on your own. Like, I am totally free to do stuff like that. It's just a matter of time. time <laughs> the time management yeah. piece. I totally get it. <laughs> so you, you've only been at the law firm for the past year? Yeah. Right? So, but... So you really haven't been around for what I'm about to ask you, but maybe some of your coworkers have mentioned something about this. Have you noticed a shift in the element of technology and the digital age that we're living in affecting the work that you guys do in the office and the way that you guys handle representing clients? Yeah, I guess um, pilot season especially. Um, we'll get, like pilot season was crazy. We got a ton of test deals and it's like, oh, you know, you have like your usually there's like Netflix and HBO and Hulu. And then it's like, oh, well now Apple's creating a streaming service and Disney's going to have a streaming service and Warner Brothers is going to have, like there's so many new streaming services popping up. Um, and so it was really interesting to not, not only, I guess, just the knowledge that there's going to be a new streaming platform, but also it's like, okay, now how do they, or how are they going to run things differently from like the usual big ones that we know? And it's also it's easy if, you know, like if you get a contract from HBO, it's like, okay, let's look on past deals that we've worked on for clients for HBO projects, and then we can compare precedent and, you know, kind of just, we have a baseline to work off of. And, you know, when you get a contract from, you know, a company that you've never done a deal with before, it's like, all right, we're really starting from scratch. And now we have to come in and maybe they don't want to give certain things that we're used to getting for clients for other streaming platforms. It's like, okay, well now how do we try to convince them that this is important? This is something that we would get from Netflix or from HBO. And, you know, so it's definitely, I don't want to say it like adds more work, but there's definitely a level of like, all right, like we really got to, you know, sit down and work through this and, you know, make sure like it's really great that we have clients that are getting, you know, projects for all these new um, sites, but sometimes it can be, um, I guess, a little little difficult to try to rework the system so that they get everything. because you're starting at ground zero, really. Yeah, Now I have a question. So pilot season with streaming services, is that still a thing? Because streaming services, I mean, I'm not sure, but it feels like they're nonstop. Like Netflix is coming out with original shows constantly. So would you say that there is still a pilot season in that case? I mean, there's still a pilot season that we still get. um, We'll get test offers um, for the streaming shows. And it, you know, I guess like it's. It's elongated. Yeah, it's. And and I I mean, I don't work in what you do. (laughs) But what I would think is is the winter and spring are definitely heavier than the summer Mm -hmm. and fall. Right. Yeah, it's um, definitely busier um, those times of years. And I think, I guess from our end with streaming services, it still kind of functions the same. Like we'll still get test deals for clients and maybe it's, it'll be the process will be a little more expedited in that like, okay, like we're not necessarily, they're not necessarily going to like film a pilot and see if it's going to get picked up to series, but they like clients still have the test you know, maybe they'll have like four options. Like you still have to test and see if they'll even book the role. So on our endpoint, it's kind of like, all right, we're negotiating a test deal and the client may or may not book it. If they do book it, then maybe the process will look a little different after that. But the beginning stages of just seeing if they get the role is, as far as I know, the same. 
I'm curious as to what your favorite part of your job is. Hmm. My favorite part, honestly, it's just knowing all the, this information that other people aren't aware of. Like, it's definitely, you know, a lot of it is numbers and contracts and, and paperwork. But if you, in my free time, like, sometimes I'll sit down and read a contract. And it's just really interesting to know. And the, all these little details that were negotiated as part of you know, this person's deal. And then I'll go and like watch the film or watch the play or something. And I'll sit there and I'll be like, wow, I literally know so much more about, and it's like not even simply knowing like, oh, I know what this person got paid. It's also like, I know what your dressing room situation is like. And I know like what your relocation fee is. And it's not necessarily like any of that information enhances my like viewing experience or like the way that I consume you know, the project. like pulling back the curtain a bit. I would yeah, think. it's just, it's more, it's, you know, it's, it almost is more exciting to watch in a way it's like to see the project come to life after just talking about the numbers of it and the business side of it. Then it's really cool to be like, wow, you're up on stage or I'm watching you at the movie theater and like we, you're able to do this because we fought for all of those other things for you. And now because you got everything you needed to put 110% into this project, I get to watch a really great film, you know, and everyone else gets to see why we fight so hard for you because all of our clients are so insanely talented, you know? So it's, it's just a, it's a very rewarding feeling to then watch the project at the end. So who is your point of contact when you're negotiating something? Is it the casting directors? It depends. Um, because I'm wondering how your experience working in casting has bled into this and how it assists and helps you navigate and if you've learned anything that you're like oh I could think of it from that perspective now because I've worked in casting yeah um I would say it probably that probably comes in more to play especially during pilot season and test deals um because if it if a client gets a straight offer on a project then we already know they got it it's just a matter of um negotiating the actual contract and and the, and the deal and when it comes down to that we will usually if it's with a large studio um then we'll talk to their business affairs they usually have an in-house lawyer so like netflix sony it's like all the big ones they they'll it'll be lawyer to lawyer contact um and then we also you know check in with the client's agents and managers and you know etc um but i would say during um pilot season when it's more test deals versus straight offers, that for me, I was like, oh, I already know what a test deal is because working in casting, I understood how that process worked from the casting side. And it obviously, like, I'm not the lawyer. I'm not the one, like, negotiating or, you know, making commission off of the actual deal. But it's very, it almost, by having the well-rounded experience, because I've been on the casting side of things. It's like sometimes, obviously we want our clients to book everything, but sometimes they don't. Like that's just how it goes. And, but it almost makes me, I guess, a little more sympathetic to sometimes it doesn't go the way that we had hoped. But I also know that sometimes on the casting end, like there's also a lot of pressure and stress and time and effort that goes into that. And I know that they're also working really hard on their end. Like I think, you know, I don't think I've really had a straight shot from like graduation to where I am. Like I've tried a little bit of everything, which I think 
sometimes feels really chaotic, um, but it's also been great because in me having a more well-rounded idea of like how all sectors of this industry works, it makes me, I guess, a little bit more, what's the word I'm looking for? Flexible and understanding of where everyone's coming from and just knowing that everyone's trying to work hard to put together something great. And when you've been in the other person's shoes that you're, you know, communicating with, it definitely helps. Um, so I guess, at least on my end, I, I always think very highly of the casting offices that we talk to because I've been in their shoes before. So I wanted to know what, if you have like a goal or like what your next steps would be in a perfect world. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. In a perfect world. Or your dreams. My dreams. <laughs> dreams and aspirations. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the thing is, is I still do not know what I want to do long term. I've kind of just been taking my career path so far as like process of elimination. I'll try everything out. I'll learn what I don't want to do. And then I'm one step closer to figuring out what I do want to do. What interests me as the next step is development. Um, I kind of want to figure out like what positions are out there. So like who's deciding what projects are getting produced. Um, I still want to incorporate the social justice aspect. So at this point, I've done the casting as far as like seeing how people get in the room. And now I've done the actual business side and seeing how people advocate. Like once that person books the job, who's deciding like what jobs are even really out there, who like what stories are being told. And I think really it's like, obviously we want to see diverse casts and diverse projects and, you know, casting choices being made but we also need more like black panthers and crazy rich asians and like stories that focus on diverse characters as like real human beings um so for me i think development i love reading scripts like whether that's you know going to a production company or maybe working for like a literary agent i haven't quite figured out yet and i'm not in a rush to leave my job at all i really like my job um, but my next steps, that's kind of what I'm, what I'm thinking about. Um, but again, like everything sounds interesting. I want to try a little bit of everything and then hopefully somewhere along that, like something will stick and I'll, you know, have the aha moment. Yeah, I, I totally, I definitely feel that. I'm sure you do too a little bit, but yeah, for sure. And when you said that you were reading scripts, like on your off time or yeah. like when you're doing, I like, I was like, yes, this is totally makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to also maybe get back more into the theater world. I do miss that. The film and TV aspect of entertainment is super entertaining and I'm I love doing that as well, but I'm I miss the you know, once a theater kid. Always, always a theater kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We ask all of our guests as a final question, what was the last great piece of theater that you saw? <gasps> oh gosh. <laughs> Something that really stuck out, and I'm hoping it's something that has to do with social justice. Okay. So I wouldn't say that this is anything I've seen most recently, but I will never, for as long as I live, shut up about the show, Indecent. Rocked my world. I saw it twice, had a very visceral, emotional reaction both times. I tell everybody that, they, you know, they filmed it for PBS to go watch it like that was life-changing. I have never seen a piece of theater that I d did what that show did. Um, also, I saw People, Places, and Things at St. Anne's. Yeah. That was also really, really great. Um, What's that one about? 
<laughs> I didn't actually see it. I just had oh. a bunch of friends who saw it, and they just couldn't stop talking about how amazing it was in the performance because it was a solo show, right? Or yeah, yeah. pretty much, essentially. Um, but it had to do with addiction, right? Yeah, it was about this young woman who was struggling with addiction, and she goes into a rehab center, um, and it just kind of talks about how she navigates her life with you know drugs playing a key part in it. Um, but I think they did a really great job of taking – I mean, I don't do drugs, so I wouldn't really know what that feels like, but I f- felt like I knew what that felt like after the show. Like they took – All like, your senses yeah. in the room and really made it visceral. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what they did. Yeah, that's pretty much what they, my friend said as well. <laughs> and it, it was at St. Anne's yeah. Warehouse, which that's where the current revival of Oklahoma transferred from. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're doing some really amazing work, yeah. and it's it's always so interesting. Um, and I find that a lot of their work, uh, they just did the jungle also, mm-hmm. which yeah. um, which I think has that social reform aspect to it. Yes, um, I think they're doing a lot of that kind of work, which is really cool. There you go. In Dumbo, Brooklyn. Yeah, the space is gorgeous. Really, and great. it transforms. Yes. Every time you go there, it's different. Um, I love that space. Yeah, that's that's really why I love black box theaters because you're able to completely change the experience based on where the audience sits and how the audience is interacting with the with the piece. Yeah. So, yeah, I really want to go. I haven't I haven't been to St. Anne's, so oh, I really need to get out there to see go. a show. Yeah. yeah. Thanks so much for coming of on. Of course, Thank we're you for so happy me. to have I you. I learned so much. <laughs> I, I I knew that I was going to learn so much from you today, but like I like my brain is just like. Ah. Yeah, this yeah. this was a completely new aspect of the business that I really didn't know much about. Awesome. So I'm so glad we were able to get you on here and give our listeners that treat. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. I'll Thanks. see you later. Bye. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Page to Stage. To keep up with us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Page to Stage Podcast. And if you're enjoying these conversations, we would really appreciate it if you could take a couple minutes to rate and review us wherever you're listening to this podcast. Until next time. That's Brian. That's Mary. We'll see you later. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.